0: Welcome to the aggressive life let's talk about courage courage if I were king of the forest not prince not duke but king I used to deal with my kids all the time they loved it I know you loved it too come on you just tune into the aggressive life to hear Brian Tone make an ass of himself I know you do but anyway, courage. It's more than just running into a burning building or standing up to a bully. Courage is about the ability to take steps forward even when the path isn't clear. Intellectual courage. It pushes you to let go of something that you're mentally comfortable and familiar with. Maybe maybe to change your opinion on something. When's the last time you changed your opinion on something? It's one of the things I like to ask these days. I is endlessly people aren't happy with things I say or things that are said is just say, tell me about a time when you changed your belief on something, what was that? We tend to not do that because we're not in growing mode or we're not intellectually courageous. How about social courage? It means being willing to risk exclusion, isolation, unpopularity, or rejection to do what you believe is right, or spiritual courage. It means following the prompting of God. Even when it looks uncertain, it doesn't make any human sense, Today we're going to talk with one of the most courageous people I know. She's not physically dominating, but she's shown a level of courage that's aggressively inspiring. And if you hear any of the like um, any of the beats in the background, I'm hearing it right now. We've got a, we got an event taking place right by the room where I'm podcasting, so it's not a, it's not a it's it's not. I don't know if you hear that or not. Dirt? Do they hear that? Do you think? Or is it just me? I don't know. I can definitely hear it. We'll find out. Right. But Thanks. it's not a nightclub. It's not a nightclub. Boots and pants and boots and pants. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> who, who we have here? <laughs> we also got Seg in with us. Another 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 guy in the team. Hey Seg, we haven't had you in here, dude. How's it going? Good. <laughs> People can't even see you right now to know why your name is Seg. Maybe we'll have a little special a special a special contest to see who can guess why Matt Arena's nickname is Seg. Anyway, I I, I digress. I digress. Beth Moore is a world-renowned Bible teacher, speaker, and leader. In 1994, she started Living Proof Ministries to teach women to know and follow Jesus through the study of Scripture. She influenced millions of people, women and men, through her books, studies, and live teachings. If you're not inside of the church world, we're going to take you down the rabbit hole today. I hope it's Uh, If it's not enlightening, I hope it's interesting with you to understand kind of a corner of America that can be pretty uh, crazy sometimes, frustrating other times, and also very spiritually potent. For decades, she was the darling of the evangelical world, but in the last few years, courage has compelled her to move. She stood up to divisive politics. She stood up to Christian nationalism, sexism, and abuse, and unfortunately, many of her former followers... They shook her off themselves like the dust off of their feet. But Beth Moore powers on. She's an incredibly courageous woman who is going to do for you what she does best. She's going to teach and inspire you to move. At least I hope she does. Welcome to The Aggressive Life, Beth Moore.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. I'm very, very happy to be on with you today.
0: Well, you know, I'm honored to have you on. You know, I'm I'm known in some circles as somebody who uh, really reaches men, and I like doing that. But this is not a man podcast. It's all different kinds of people here. This isn't like a manhood all the time. And I think people should finally believe me because we have the queen of female Bible studies, actually maybe one of the greatest communicators of our time, Beth Moore with us. So I hope people understand now this is not just a man's Bible study.
1: Well, this is what's fun is because I usually speak to women. So we're we're in a, in a good place. We each are going to have to trade and think the opposite direction. So I am right with you on it.
0: So this, uh, you know, a lot of our folks are just not inside of the church world, inside the faith world. And so those who have been inside the church world for any period of time uh, probably heard your name. But uh, we need to just give people who you are. Let's start at the beginning. You had a troubled childhood, didn't you?
1: Uh, I really did. Uh, I did. I was raised, thankfully, in the church, Brian. And it's one reason why I have such a heart for it is because, sadly, many people have uh, testified to having somehow been abused or misused or uh, been under some kind of oppression within the church walls. But that just wasn't my case. It truly was my salvation in a lot of ways. I had an extremely troubled home. So when I went to church, it was my harbor instead of my unsafe place. It was back home walking through the front door that all the instability waited for me. So I'm so grateful for the fact that I was taken to church uh, because I I don't know any other way to put it except that I, I believed them. I believed my Sunday school teachers. I believed my pastor. I believed that Jesus was who they said he was.
0: Now, I know a lot of times we don't like to talk about numbers. We don't like to puff ourselves up. So I hope you'll give me an honest answer just so people can understand your impact. Have you got any idea like of how many millions of people have heard you teach, heard you speak, or how many millions of people have bought your curriculum? Just like, because it, it, it's important to understand that for the next question I'm going to ask. Just give us a sense of the scope of how God's used you over the last few decades.
1: I wish that I had something really to go on. I've seen Lifeway do some verbiage about it along the way. My dear friend's there, and they would say that uh, many, many women have had these Bible studies in their hands, and I think it would be uh, in the millions, which is incomprehensible uh, to me, but that I've. I believe with all of my heart that I happened to be in on something that God was doing. That Because if you look in the area of Bible study, in all sorts of different curricula, you'll see that it was something that women, God was just doing in the heart of women, women wanted to study. And so whether it was Kay Arthur's Precept, or it was Bible study fellowship, or community Bible study, that those things... Those organizations that were very devoted to putting the scriptures in an accessible way into the hands of women, I think that we saw and and are seeing a lot of blessing. It, it's just yeah. the timing of God.
0: You said many, many women, many, many, let's use a different M word, millions and millions of women. Uh, I think it's very safe to say just in the women front, only in the women front, You've taught the Bible to more women than anybody in the history of Christendom. Now, oftentimes we don't like to hear those hyperbole, especially if we're saying about ourselves, what you're not saying about yourself, I'm saying about you. That's, un, it's unfreaking believable. And so when you think about your abusive past inside of your home, what if you would have gotten a picture of that when you were 16, 18 years old and said, and God said, Hey, Beth, this is what I'm going to do with you would you have ever believed it?
1: Well, never in a million years. But I'll tell you that I knew that he could make something out of out of nothing. I knew that. And I, I wish I could think, Brian, sincerely how old I would have been when I would have started believing that mindset. Now, I never had any thought. I couldn't have seen any kind of audiences, any kind of uh, groups. I couldn't have seen any of that. But somehow I knew he was trustworthy with a life. And by the time I was 18, I knew that's when I really uh, received my calling. And I had no idea what it was to, but I knew that this was the life that whatever, I knew he had saved me and that he would keep saving me. And somehow, pretty early on, I knew he would be the only one. I knew it was that disastrous that I was that set for trouble and turbulence. And so uh, that's it's been when I try to think what I might have done otherwise, because I did have other plans. I I wanted to go to law school like my grandfather had done and and practice law. But when I try to think what else my life could have looked like outside of of this calling, I just, I can't even formulate my imagination in such a way. He's just been the only way I've made it. And I I mean that. I I can tell you this. I don't know how many people it's been. I just know it's been a miracle. And it's been his way of going, I'll make absolutely sure you cannot take any credit for it. Because you're going to know you couldn't have done it. Because Brian, the thing... The complication about reaching a lot of people is that you also reach them with all your mistakes, mm. uh, with all your missteps, with all the things that you wish you had said a different way. Um, I've, you know, look back over so many years of writing. Okay, I have been in print now since my late 20s, right around 30. I'm just about to turn. 65, that's a lot of years. And I look back and think, well, for one thing, Brian, you are not
0: 65. I'm looking at you in zoom right now. You are not 65. I call bullshit. You are not 65
1: in two days, in two days. Wow. Yes. In two days I am. But, um, when, when I look back, one of the things I see is just a lot of exclamation marks, you know, in my writing, I was just You know, I was so enthusiastic, but, you know, I was not academically taught. So there are things I look back at and think, oh, my goodness. But here's what I do believe, and this is because of the faithfulness of God. I do believe those women that I got a chance to serve and those those brave men, I do believe that they knew uh, two things. They knew that we were in it for the Lord Jesus, and they knew that I believed and encouraged them to believe that the way to come to know him best was through the study, the diligent study, the regular study scripture. Let's go back to
0: something you said that I know a lot of folks would love to hear more about. You said you had a calling. Let me tell you why I want to ask you this, because I find a lot of people end up not making aggressive moves. Because they're waiting for a calling as defined by a finger in the sky that, that writes something out or an audible voice from God. And unless people hear this, they feel like they can't move. They're waiting and waiting and waiting. You made some aggressive moves. Is, is that the kind of calling you had when you were 18?
1: Uh, No, I I will circle back to that, though, because I do think I sometimes tease that I call myself blonder than I pay to be because I would never, (laughs) I I just don't think I would have figured it out for myself. But I did know, and this is what I do want to speak over our listeners, I I did know that everyone had a call. Um, That is uh, very, very scriptural. I'm thinking of uh, Romans 8. I'm thinking of a number of places where uh, we've been told that we have been chosen by God and we have been called and that we're being conformed to the image of his son. So we all have a calling on our lives. What I think that that was a little bit uh, different about mine, the same thing that would have been different about yours, Brian, is when we've been called to something vocationally. We've all been called to serve God. We've all been called to the kingdom work wherever he has. But for me and obviously for you, we were called within the confines of, of, of the local or the larger, or the, you know, the Catholic, by that I mean the overall, um, an overarching church. So it, that it was within those walls and those, uh, spaces. So that he did, he did make clear to me that this is, that I would work for him. And I knew this was when I was 18, I was serving a group of Uh, The sixth grade girls at a missions camp and uh, it was just, I've always had a hard time explaining it because it was just unmistakable. It was just like this, you're, your future is mine, but without direction of what it would be. And I've so appreciated Mm -hmm. the Lord working in that way with me. And I'd say this to someone else, that that his calling, if you look, it's so consistent with the disciples, because he said, come follow me. I didn't get like, I'm calling you to public speaking, or I'm calling you to writing. What I got was your entire future is mine. This was not in words, but I had a knowing in my spirit, you will know what you are Supposed to do when you follow me and I show it to you, so uh, that was the way it went. But I knew, I knew that it was not going to be law. I knew, I, and it was the oddest thing because I finished out my degree. I, I didn't know what else to do.
0: That is really helpful for all of us to learn. I think that we just get paralyzed by thinking I have to find my purpose, my purpose as defined by how will I make money? What organization am I going to serve in? What am I going to do that might uh, get internet internet fame for me? What am I going to do? It's, it's it's like the thing, and you're not talking about the thing, the action. You're talking about the heart of where your heart was inclined to, right?
1: Absolutely. I was already serving in what would have been my, my calling as a Christian. I would have already been serving by the time I was was 12 at my church and in my tradition, a vacation Bible school would have been the first chance you'd have gotten as a kid to be able to serve because we went through the uh, fifth grade and sixth grade. And then you got to, from that point on, help with it. You got to help with a, a couple of adult teachers and then, you know, sometimes in the kids' departments and stuff like that. So serving all along, that was always, again, it was one of the gifts of my upbringing my the church of my childhood I, I I'm trying to think of anybody I really knew that didn't serve in some capacity it was you just did this was so much of where we lived our lives there in the local church so i have quite i have quite an affection for it still to to this day by the way
0: you mentioned something earlier that does torment me and I think it torments a lot of teachers but I'm not hearing many people humble enough to talk about it and that is we can look back and remember things that we've taught that we don't believe anymore right it's like okay so now I'm a false teacher because i pre- preached something that was false and then i start asking myself well, what am I preaching today? I never go into preaching something on a weekend that I'm like, uh, I'm I'm about 60% sure of this. I'm always 100% in on what I say. And yet when I look back on some of the things I've said over the decades, I go like, uh, I'm just not, uh, I'm not there anymore. I can get a bit paranoid. I can get a bit, um, a bit regretful, maybe even a little less bold. Do you relate to that? How do you handle it?
1: Completely, because I have never, I'm like you, I've never gone in and thought, I believe that I will mislead them in this lesson. I'm going to see if I can lead them <laughs> this way, even though I know scripture means it. Never, never once, never once, I went in with every single intention of teaching soundly. But one of the things that, let me give an example of what I look back over and could just shake my head. I I believed with all of my heart I was so full throttle into my church world that I loved dearly and still love. I still love my tradition. I would not change it. It is my heritage and I'll never, I'll never give it up. I wouldn't be able to lodge it from my, the marrow of my bones if I had to, but I just, I believed that we were just, right. That maybe some other people were right as well, but we were the rightest of the right. And I don't mean if someone's listening, I want to make sure that they know because right and left means something entirely different to us um, as we uh, think so in such political terms these days. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about right in correct. I'm talking about right in accurate. I truly believed that we were the most accurate of the accurate and that anybody that did it differently, uh, anybody that had another view, they were incorrect and we were correct. So let me put it into these terms. I didn't just believe that scripture was inerrant. I believe that our interpretation of scripture was inerrant. And uh, so now I could, if you had asked me that at the time, right, if you said, Beth, do you think, your interpret or the interpretation that you have inherited is an error. Of course, I would have told you no. But looking back over it, I mean, it's as clear as a bell. And that, you know, just oh my word, um, some of the things that like, I thought God
0: loves you, God loves you, God loves your beliefs, but you're wrong, and I'm right. No one ever says that, but that's what we feel.
1: Well, it's exactly right, and I, I feel like surely, and I want I want somebody to smile with me here. I can't, I can't promise you this, but I can almost promise you this, that I would have been one of those kinds that probably would have taught that the wine was not fermented.
0: Of course you were. You're Baptist or Baptist. Baptist. It's Baptist, by the way, not Baptist. Of course you believe that.
1: Baptist to own. (laughs) And so, you know, it have been things like that, that I look back on and think, oh God. But anyway, um, I just have to believe Please, Holy Spirit. I pray he got through some of that. And then <laughs> okay, I have to tell you something, Brian, because you're, you're fun to talk to and that a good host um, makes me too talkative. But I, I am tempted at times to go back and rewrite. And then I'm just like, girl, you don't have time for that. I can't go back at this point and go, well, you know what? I've Okay, I've changed my mind here, and I'd like to say it this way now. Or I'd say, like, I look at some things in some of the Bible studies, some of the things in Esther about being obedient to Mordecai. Um, I think about that. Now, I'd tell you 80% of that study, I'd go, I would stand right there. But there were ways I put things that because of our culture and all that has surfaced in the area of abuse of power, I'm not able to say, I can say the biblical truths, but I'm not able to say just boldly. You just do what you're told and, you know, God's going to bless your obedience. Well, to him, your obedience to him. So things that are just uh, that we, it was a different time a different context we had a different way of talking but you can either go back and correct all of what you've already written and most people will never pick it up again anyway or you just go forward and hope hope that somebody's going to look at that copyright date and go okay i'm this was way early in best ministry and even though i agree with her about a lot of things i'm not sure she would say that today
0: yeah yeah, well, I'll give you one for myself, and it'll kick us into an, another chapter here on our on our on our podcast. First of all, if if uh, for our listeners who are not in the Christian realm, not in the church realm, not in the evangelical realm, Beth's talking about Baptists is all different kind of Baptists. She's from the Southern Baptist convention, which is one the more conservative one and and a very large one. She mentioned Lifeway, which is their publishing arm, and um, that's kind of where that was her platform for decades and reaching millions of people. One of the things that I've changed on that I used to teach, I don't teach anymore, is that there are certain gifts that women can't have or at least certain gifts that women can't express in certain environments, i.e teaching when men are present There's a couple of verses of the new testament that seem to indicate that and so i've had kind of a traditional view and i say traditional that's um that's what most conservative bible believing christians for millennia have, have have believed i've had that kind of that, that view and I've, and I've taught on that and that's that's certainly not where i am now it's not where i'm not where i've been for gosh for decades actually decades like 20 years Uh, but because that would not
1: be my exact case, mine's been more recent than that, but yes, I would have been the same.
0: Well, right. And this is, this is probably what I want to get into because when I read things that people are saying about you, things that you're saying, I'm going, oh man, I'd like to have somebody like ask Beth these questions, have her say this or that. So now's the time, now's the time we're going to get a little aggressive. Uh, you, um. You you didn't get treated very well. It looks like to me by the menfolk. You didn't you haven't gotten treated very well by uh, the establishment in your conservative circles. Um, you basically have been shunned. You've been deplatformed from Lifeway uh, churches that were the um, oh gosh that were places that had fertile soil for you to teach and help people. Um, they uh, they've they've not taken a liking to. A woman who is speaking now to men and teaching on a wider stage, and man, it's been it's just been heartbreaking, utterly heartbreaking, to see from afar uh, things that you've built, things that you've done, uh, be taken away from you, but by human agents, people trying to take things away from you, and and not God taking things away from you. How's that been? And even even let's let's, let's step back here, uh, even before we get into that, Beth. I've read articles where you've talked before about how men, specifically Christian leader men, have treated you. Just tell us what it's like in certain circles to be a woman who actually believes in teaching.
1: Well, let me tell you this. This is what makes it so ironic, Brian, is because I would have almost entirely believed the same things that they did and i think that's one reason for the shock of these last years is because man i was a i was a rule keeper i was the i was teaching almost identically what they were teaching i was teaching you know submission to your husband and and the things that all the things that they thought were important i would not have um dreamt of being a senior pastor and that still to this day would not be my desire but what what tripped it up was that i i would find myself because you have to understand how far back as many years as i've been in ministry so rewind all that way i was one of the only women that was out there in a lot of these uh, groups uh, people that were invited to be on the platform at whatever event. So I'd, I'd be the only woman, the rest of them would be men. And this, this was for years and years, that was true. And so there was a certain way that I was treated and it was always, you know, it'd be cutesy and kind of, uh, you know, just uh, some mocking and they, they'd be try to be fun about it. some would just be rude and wouldn't talk to me at all others would be like uh just just demeaning but it was but i was so deferential because i knew going in i believed in covering man i was supposed to have a covering over me i was supposed to be submissive uh in i was supposed to do all the things and i and i tried very hard to do all the things but what What it came down to is that when I spoke up for women some six years ago and I saw the reaction and I realized, wait a second, I won't get into the whole story of it, but I will just tell you that there comes a time sometimes where a fog clears That you would do anything to bring back. I mean, anything. If you could pull clouds out of the air and bring it back so that you could now unsee what you've seen, you'd do anything. But I saw, I mean, crystal clear, and it began such an unraveling because I believed all of this was about Scripture, I did. I did. I believe that the reason some of them couldn't treat me uh, as a peer or that they had to, or they sometimes resented me being there, whatever it might be, certainly resented if the crowd wanted me there. Uh, That was, you know, they they didn't want them to like me. And so, but I always thought, well, you know what? It's their, it's their take on scripture. It's all of this. And then suddenly it was like, whoa, this is about Power. Hmm. This is about power and holding the reins. And I want to say something, Brian, because this is so important to me for people to hear. I do not resent being taught 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 14. I don't, I can't think of it. These are verses where women
0: are told to be silent, that that kind of stuff. Yes.
1: What I resent is only being taught those things, only that it was the bottom line that it was nothing else. And so the way I was taught to believe that there are a lot of people within. So don't I, I, I wouldn't listeners to think that what I'm describing is all Southern Baptist. Certainly not true. I'm talking about the circles that I was in and the systems that I, um, that I operated in. And again, I, I have to say, I love the people at Lifeway so much, so I have to set them to a, to the side a bit because the SBC, even though they're the publishing arm of the SVC, so it's a little bit different system. But what um, what I found was that they did not believe that anyone who taught anything differently could possibly be orthodox. it was all heresy, so anyone that anyone that taught differently um, was about women women's roles. It wasn't like this is another view now we really believe this is the correct view, but here is the other view. no, it was this is orthodoxy, this is false teaching that that I resent. I resent not dealing with what what are we going to do with the fact that paul talks about the women who contended with him in the gospel and um, that's that's in philippians what are we what do we do with the last chapter of romans uh, so what what are we to do with all of this what do we do with acts 2 what do we do with uh with the uh daughters of philip so these are the things that troubled me
0: yeah i think that's what that's what bothers me about it is you know in my days when when i held a very traditional view of what a woman could or couldn't do. I don't think that I was ever as judgmental about people who disagreed with me as I'm seeing others. So I was never like excluding someone from the faith. I was never then on a on a mission to discredit uh, them. Uh, and that's kind of what's going on with you that's just it's just so heartbreaking people are so insecure they can't live with someone who has a different interpretation and i i have friends who i have friends who are still in the old school old school way and and i i actually respect them and i respect their convictions Uh, i i really do but about what i believe right now about women leadership it it could be wrong just because i believe there it is right now and i've quote unquote evolved from what i did before maybe i was right back then and i'm wrong right now I, I don't know. We just always assume what I believe right now is right. And I think we need to do a lot better job of just giving people grace and not getting too bent out of shape about secondary intramural disputes. But I'll tell you what I don't respect— I don't respect at all the the belittling and the dehumanizing of somebody who's inside the Christian circle, who I'm pretty darn sure is going to heaven. I'm not good with dehumanizing and powering up on that person. And I'll just tell you, man, the, the stuff I've read, Like, just give us like, what would it look like, Beth, for you to be bullied by a, a male leader? What did it look like? What's an example?
1: Well, there would be times that if we were in an elevator, like if I, I was speaking in an event and we would get in an elevator and the other speakers might be in there with me, or the other or you know, the other men that were leaders at that event, I would not they would I wouldn't nobody would say a word. Uh in the green room, it would be such a weird thing. I might be in the same vehicle and it would just be it was either, and again, were there exceptions to this? Of course there were, but I'm saying this was. The flavor, this was definitely the climate was cold for a woman speaker, especially, you know, Brian, there might have been a way I could have spoken that would have been softer and sweeter and more uh, acceptable to them. But the fact that if I did start teaching that I would, I could get pretty fired up, I think. So you were better than
0: them. They didn't like that the woman was better than them, actually.
1: I just they didn't they didn't want me to speak with authority. You understand what I'm saying? Just be apologize for being there. And again, so many, so many exceptions to that, but it it there's no denying there's a climate. And any any woman that was near it, most any woman would be able to testify to that. And you know, I just again thought this is all about scripture, and then it was like, oh, wait, because it wasn't consistent. It wasn't consistent.
0: Yeah. So they're basically treating you like they're in a in an elevator with a porn star where they're like, I know God loves this person, but I feel guilty being around them and they're they're definitely not doing the will of God. They're treating you that way. And while you're while while this is happening, Beth, back to courage, we've made this on a theological level here. Let's take it to a courage level. How are you keeping it together? How are you not melting down? How are you keeping your calling secure? What what's some of the secrets are there secrets? Are there tricks that you would tell yourself? Were there mental games or mental things that would go through your mind? Were there disciplines, practices you had that kept you going in the courageous way you wanted to go?
1: Yes, 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 yes to all of those things. But I'll say a couple of things specifically. I I heard, I, I think it was Alan Noble that taught on, that that was the first I heard teach on this idea of thinly and thickly held beliefs, and by that, you know, I'm talking about things that you, yeah, I, I, I pretty well feel this way about this. Yes, I think, and then there are other things, thickly held beliefs that you know that if someone did a bone marrow test on you and they and they literally and they literally did a study on your very chemistry, that it would be in the basic part of your DNA. Held beliefs, and thank goodness, the things that I have taken such a beating for, I didn't have to think, I, I didn't navigate like, oh, but if I do, if I believe this, this is going to happen. No, there are certain things you just in the dead of night, with your head on a pillow, you know, this is what you believe to the death, and so those those things, uh, the the value of women. The, the giftedness of women, uh the calling of women, I I was certain. I mean, it just I I I was not going to be um I was not going to be stopped. And so that that was very important. The other thing is this is the beauty of age, Brian. Um I don't know how old you are but 56. Okay. There are some wonderful things that happen with age. And one of them is that I just I've I've gone this whole time with Jesus to the degree that I knew how. That's always, you know, we have the savior that we cannot see with our with our human eyes or touch with our with our fleshly fingers, but he's more real to us than anyone we could possibly do those things uh with. But I've been in it with him so long, like I've I already made these decisions a long time ago. I I'm in, I'm in, I'm in with him till my last breath, and I'm not going to, I, I just am not going to be um, bullied by uh, public uh, approval. I'm not going to be. I Maybe at 30, um, maybe at 40. I, I don't know. I hope not. I hope I, I would have stood firm, but I'm way too old now. I just don't, you know, it's so fickle. Uh, the approval of people. And if you can get it, you can't keep it. So I, you know, I just, mm -mm, no, this is what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. I'm getting there, Beth. I'm, I'm, I'm better at 56 than I was at 46, but I'm, I'm still way more insecure than I give myself credit for. You know all, all the it does all the all the all the disagreements over whatever was said or not said about COVID, said or not said about race, said or not said about uh, the, the election, said or not said about the uh, insurrection or uh, purported insurrection. All, all those I mean, I, it's a, it's it's constant. It, it still bothers me, but it doesn't bother me as much. And I'm not sure if that how much of that is spiritual maturity because every year that I'm walking with Christ and becoming more spiritually mature. And so the opinions of others matter less to me than, than God's or how much of that is just becoming older and just like, well, well screw you all. That's just the way it is. I, I don't, I don't need your opinion. You know, I, I'm the, some of that's of the flesh. Some of that's of the spirit. Either way, I like it.
1: Yes. But you know, as well as I do that, you know, there's this there's this thing that goes, I didn't call myself into this. You didn't call me into this. And you can't call me out of it. This is this is in the Lord's hands. And yes, he can take me out. And that's for him to do when he wills. But I, he's faithful. And I have found over and over again that just like, do what you believe by conviction, by biblical conviction that you have some semblance of a prayer life, some semblance of seeking the will of God through the scriptures. And then man, you hold on for dear life and, and plot your course according to your convictions and, and you trust him to be faithful. And if you don't see that here in this life, we're going to see it on the other side. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, Beth, I'm,
0: let's get a little sermonette from you, a little sermon from you here. One of your things that you said, which is, I think is great, courage comes from a heart that is convinced it is loved.
1: Absolutely. Teach us. Absolutely. Absolutely. That if I know, think about how many decisions we make, poor decisions, because we feel like We're either unloved, we've been rejected, or we need to earn somebody's love. I mean, go back and think in our relational histories, disastrous decisions we've made perhaps at work or whatever, because we were not certain that we were accepted, weren't certain that we were loved, weren't weren't certain that, that people liked us. And so we just kept trying and trying and trying. But when there's something enormous that happens, and I'm thinking in terms of Ephesians 5, 1, where uh, Paul writes that, therefore, as um, imitators of God, that we are to walk in love as Christ loved us, as dearly loved children, he says, as dearly loved children. And I think to myself, there is a different way that people act and live and love when they know that they're loved by God when they know that they're loved by the one who knows everything there is to know about them, every flaw, every prideful thought, all all lust, greed, every pop, all idolatry, uh, that he knows every single thing, but that there is absolutely nothing we can do to cause him to love us more or make him love us less. That the freedom of that, uh, I mean, we're able to be bold and know that we don't have to vie uh, for His love. Um, that's everything to me. I have to remind myself, one reason why I don't ever, ever get online before I have a time of prayer in the morning, uh, listen, before anybody tells me they hate me, I need the Lord to tell me. You
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it is true. There is a power that comes when you feel approved by God. I, I remember I was, um, oh gosh, I get very vulnerable here. <sighs> Oh, gosh. Okay.
1: Remember, you have the power of edit.
0: <laughs> all right. Okay. So here it is. Maybe just between you. Maybe just between us girls. So here, here, here it was. Uh, um, speaking at man camp, we got uh, 2,000 guys who were there, 38 states. Actually, the last one was 38 states. This was I don't know. This was a couple of man camps ago. A bunch of guys from all over the place are there. Right before I get up on stage, and I just had this overwhelming feeling of – um of unworthiness, insecurity, I I can't, I shouldn't be going up there. Um, I'm not qualified. And as clear as I've ever heard anything from God and when God speaks to me, doesn't speak to me with a verbal word, I would love him to do that someday. He hasn't done it yet. But it, it normally comes a thought out of left field is not yes. the kind of thought that I would ever think. That's the kind of thought that Jesus would think. <clears throat> and out of out of nowhere, as I'm having this pity party, God God says to me, Brian, you don't qualify yourself. I qualify you, and I say you're qualified. Yes. And I get I just get um in motion when thinking about it, and um. I just went after it. And that, that just comes from a, hey man, if I, if I feel God has approved me, approved of me and he loves me, man, it's, I can get over a lot of stuff, including the hatred of others and the judgmentalism of others. And I
1: think, Brian, um, I think that what God is calling us to do in all of our flaws and weaknesses and our uh, profound humanness is live authentically with that and serve authentic- authentically with that because I have a really, really bad, bad um, early background, a really tough uh, adolescence, um, young womanhood, all of those things. And one of the things that I tell them all the time when I'm speaking to a group is that, listen, if you need a teacher that has not been in the bottom of the pit, you you definitely have come to the wrong class. And so I, I try to, you know, that I am here by the grace of God, and all I have to boast in is the cross. And I think that's it, just authentically uh, to own uh, the, the weaknesses and uh, to boast in the grace of the cross.
0: Beth Moore, teacher extraordinaire, teacher of the masses of the millions, who's aggressively courageous. Are you aggressively courageous enough to enter into the lightning round? The lightning round is when I give you a topic and you have to answer like, like that, like lightning
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> She's excited. She is. Dirt, I've never seen somebody so excited. She's like leading for Honestly, This is, uh, this is very funny because that's when I know I have a real deal communicator on, on the line, like a legitimate communicator. When I was in sixth grade, we used to have this thing where the teacher would, would pull up, um, he had his, on his desk, all these different items and he would randomly call you up and he'd hand you like a staple or a pencil. And he'd say, Talk about this for sixty seconds, and people people would melt. I'd be sitting there going, "Come on, coach, put me in. You you have that right now."
1: (laughs) Absolutely, let me go. Let me go. All right,
0: here we go. Here we go. Most aggressive move you're making right now. Growing grapevines. All right. Okay. See, this is the problem. Someone abides by the rules, and I got to ask more. Growing grapevines. What does that mean?
1: Well, I'm in a terrible climate. I'm in Houston, Texas, and I got this. I I got. I just went crazy over the whole idea of vines and vineyards when I was in Italy about about four years ago. And so I came back home with an absolute obsession, wrote a book about it, and then it still wasn't enough. And so I, I put in, I have this tiny little vineyard that I put in on my property and I tend to it all the time. And it is the hardest thing. I'm not, this isn't growing a tomato brother. This isn't, this isn't growing a strawberry or a blackberry or a cucumber. It's growing
0: a grape so you can have alcohol-free wine. Yes.
1: Well, I I do want to see, I want to see the whole process through because it's such an interesting metaphor in the scripture. So anyway, it's very bold because it takes so much work and because I don't know what I'm doing. So it's, it's pretty aggressive.
0: And so you're drinking actual alcoholic wine these days?
1: No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I want to see what happens at every step. So you have to wait like five years. You don't have your first harvest until three years. Then you wait till five years before you have quality enough. So it's it's this practice. I think it's pretty aggressive in this day and time with all the instant gratification. I think it's pretty courageous and pretty radical to do a long work, a long work for a harvest.
0: That's true. So Great. You're going to get wasted in five years with wine you grew yourself. That's wonderful. Great. That, that that Good Bible teaching there. Okay, let's go. Next one. Next one. Thing you're most proud
1: of. My daughters.
0: Bible passage that still gets you energized.
1: Over and over. Uh, John 15 verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Therefore, abide in my love. That is amazing to me.
0: Beth, I could keep going. I could keep giving lightning round questions. I could tell, if, if I told you it was just lightning round, you probably would have given me two hours, but we're about the end of our time. Unless there's something you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet. any Anything else that you want to make sure we cover?
1: Well, I, I would want someone to know uh, that we are very, very dedicated to two things uh, through the ministry, and that is um, and uh, through our Living Proof Live, and that is worship and and the word of God and that we believe and I believe that it's alive. I don't think it's like a, you know, just d- dead ink on uh, pages, on thin pages. I really do believe those are living, uh, breathing words and that God is raising up living, breathing people uh, to be light in this dark world. I'll tell you that.
0: Well, my day job, uh, in case our listeners don't know, is uh, I am founding and senior pastor of a church called Crossroads. Beth is coming to Crossroads to speak on a Friday and Saturday. It's July 15th and 16th at uh, our campus that's known as Crossroads Oakley. So hey if you're anywhere in the tri-state area around Cincinnati get there and even if you're not even if you're not when's the last time we took a road trip uh, th- this woman the event's gonna be really really worth it. Um, I'm looking forward to hosting it here the tra- I'm not going to be there it's a woman's event so I'm gonna be I'm not going to be there you won't, you won't ask me to speak at your woman's event will you but you expect us men to have you at our events?
1: We'll just stick to our own events.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you can, you can have your tickets. You can get tickets at lproof.org slash events, lproof.org slash events. This is a women's only event. I'll be real clear. This is a women's only event. So Beth, it has been a, it has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for doing what you're doing. Thank you for being open and vulnerable with us and sister. Just, just keep going, man. You're, 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 Everyone's jealous because God hasn't used them as much as he's used you on your worst day. So you keep going, keep living the aggressive and courageous life.
1: Well, you are kind to say that, Brian. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: My pleasure. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to Briantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating? Leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tomes, a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.